Welcome to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. This podcast may contain swearing, plus it will be filled with lots of interesting chat. All the views are expressed are our own and are not those of our institutions or employers. You're welcome to share your own views in the comment box on the website. And if you like what you hear, please like, share and subscribe. And you can find out more on our website, innerzonepodcast.com. Or on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also like us on Facebook. So, without further ado, here's this week's episode. So, hello everyone and welcome to the Inner Zone podcast with me, Mike Ryder. And me, Josh Hughes. In today's episode, we're going to talk about marketisation in higher education and um, some debates that have been in the press recently um, regarding the coronavirus and whether or not universities should be... um, given special status to be protected by the government um, in the light of um, projected falls in student numbers, international students and so on. Because um, it's, it's quite a big thing in the news at the moment, isn't it, Josh? Yeah. Um, I mean, sort of the marketisation of the, of the academy, as they call it, or the neoliberalisation of the academy has, has sort of been a, a hot topic for a few years um, in terms of uh, people being pushed for impact and innovation and sort of being pushed to turn their research activities into into products or be able to contribute to a product or something something that can make money for a university. Um, and also universities employing staff on short-term contracts or part-time contracts and then expecting them to, to do a, more than part-time hours or expecting full-time staff to do more than full-time hours. Um, uh, and basically kind of exploitative um, employment practice if we're going to call it what it what it, what it really is um, um, yeah i mean we, we've been on the receiving end of this ourselves obviously as uh part-time employees that with contracts at multiple places in multiple departments um certainly that's the case yeah i mean it's kind of termed the academic precariat isn't it Due yeah precarious employment situation of the vast majority of people in in higher education um you know, it's quite I think a lot of undergraduates are quite astounded to find out that many of their lecturers, seminar tutors, workshop takers, um, experiment just demonstrators or whatever else that are on part time contracts and are expected to do more than their, you know, allotted hours and when it's in, when it when you actually work out how much you're working for, often it's less than minimum wage. It's basically yeah, as I say, exploitation. <laughs> Yeah, and then obviously on on the other side of the coin, then we've got this whole sort of the student angle and the way the universities now are seeing what they do as being more like a business than perhaps being. Whereas in the past, that maybe they were thinking they were sort of a research institution, perhaps or even teaching based. But now, really, it's, it's becoming a point where um, students are sort of almost commodified, aren't they? They're sort of seen like as a commodity, and the international market in particular is an area where. A lot of the sort of the bigger universities see that they can make an awful lot of money because they can charge lots of uh, sort of significantly higher fees, and and then obviously this has then had an impact with the coronavirus because there's a big worry about dropping student numbers from abroad with students being worried to travel and so forth. But let's say so along time alongside the stuff that obviously we just mentioned about employment of academics and just staff in general, there's also this other side of things where students are just sort of more sort of universities are value value bums on seats more than they value um student welfare and experience and then all of this then ties into this idea i suppose um 
I mean, it goes back to the 90s and under Conservatives and then under New Labour, where sort of Tony Blair was keen to get over 50 percent of people into higher education, which then in turn has issues with regards to the value of degrees, whether students should either be in university at all. Then obviously universities have started really competing with each other for numbers because numbers equals money, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's... Uh... Sort of as you said, as you mentioned there, sort of universities viewing students as commodities, particularly mm. international students who pay higher fees. Um, I think for some people that's probably true, but I think from the other perspective, actually, from the student, a lot of them view themselves almost as clients or customers. Yeah, or customers. Yeah, in that you know I've come here and paid for a degree, not I've paid for the opportunity to to um, try and gain a degree. I've paid for a degree. That that seems to be a a mindset that some of them have. Um, but yeah, I think as as you as you kind of said uh, earlier, the coronavirus has kind of has put this into or highlighted the issues much more, because now universities, having gone through this transformation from being research institutions that ex- research and teaching institutions that exist for the public good, into being businesses, um, you know, and and then now asking potentially asking governments for bailouts or or help um, as if they were a business. Uh, well, maybe, not, maybe I should rephrase that. Some, some of them seem to be asking for government help as though they are, you know, a public good, um, you know, a, a, as though they should be public, publicly funded, but they've acted like businesses for the past 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and so it kind of, it kind of shows things into, sh- into sharp relief that some universities are very happy to, act like businesses when they can make money but they're not happy to act like businesses when um, there's a chance of going under I mean obviously no business really wants to operate like a business when there's a chance of going under but you kind of you know there's there's, there's responsibilities of whichever way you choose it and it doesn't seem like uh, some universities are willing to, to take those responsibilities on um, because actually, in some respects, it would be something that I was I was listening to the other day was that for for some company or for some workers, actually, it's better for their company to collapse for them for them as a as an individual because then they I can't actually remember what they, what they were saying. So this point is probably silly to make, um, but you know, it's, for some people, it's probably better for a company to collapse and them to be able to get something from the administrators and go on to another job rather than have their wages pushed down and pushed down and pushed down and pushed down and treated like, um, you know, somebody in the workhouse and just kind of exploited, more and more exploited um, for, you know, for less and less money. And, you know, and, the, and but I think the university is a particularly strange kind of industry, if you will, if we're going to refer to it in business terms, because this exploitation kind of it relies upon academics or graduate teaching assistants, particularly sort of almost being grateful for the opportunity to be in work. Yeah. To be, to, well, yeah, to be, to be in work, but also kind of there's this myth that, you know, if you, if you're an academic, um, you know, you teach a bit, you do a bit of administration and then you just research whatever you want for the rest of the week. Whereas that's not really true. Both, both of us know that that's not true from our own, um, experience with teaching and, and full-time academics know that that's not really true because 
it's quite rare that you'd even get maybe a full day to work on your own research unless you're on research sabbatical or you're on a specifically funded research project both of which um well if you're on a specifically funded research project then again that's not necessarily your work it might be you might have the basic idea but you know people don't research funding institutions don't just give out funding for you to fulfill your own ideas and desires they, they want some out of it as well so it's not just you're, you're not just working for yourself in a way um, no it's about performance targets isn't it and performance measurements and um which is which obviously brings about stress and all sorts of issues itself i mean there are so many different issues i was going to bring up here i mean one that many people have mentioned um sort of in, in the press obviously is, is the concept of financial mismanagement and um so a lot of these universities have senior senior management on very high salaries. I mean, we're talking six figures. I mean, I think someone was quoting, I think it was somewhere like Bolton, some a really small university like Bolton or something. The VCs on something like 300,000, um, which is just madness. And then you think, well, these people have sort of been overseeing a, a sustained period of really poor financial management. And what a lot of other universities have been doing is actually maybe putting their universities into debt in 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 is a, a sort of a gamble in order to build these massive um new buildings new complexes um as a sort of a vanity project to attract more students more financial but more students but obviously that's always going to be a gamble and what's happening now with this covid thing is that we're seeing well actually um things are starting to come to a head i mean things were already starting to come to head in, in certain sectors because, I mean, there are at least three universities. I mean, they're unnamed, but three universities in the news recently that might potentially go under. But then obviously COVID's happened and um, there's a lot of uncertainty around um, jobs, job security. I mean, I know at Lancaster, for example, they've furloughed quite a lot of staff. They've also, rumour has it that they're sending around warnings of possible redundancies in certain areas of the business. And which is going to have massive consequences um across the board i think for sort of students experience and for staff welfare and so forth and then obviously at the bottom of that pile are people like um me and formerly you as well um who'll be on temporary contracts because they're the first people to go yeah absolutely um i mean i was i was reading something the other day about how you know the typical the most average junior lecturer in a university is um a woman in her early 30s who's basically had a string of temporary appointments um, and is unable to get a permanent appointment because they don't have the the research the, the publication record mm. but they've not had opportunity to get that publication record because they've not had a permanent job no um, and so it kind of it's, it becomes this ever ever sort of downward spiral if it were, if you will um, and so yeah I mean and that's what this, as you were sort of saying, this lots of universities have, have invested massively in large lecture theatres and complexes and whatever else, and and the you know actually putting the bums on seats, if you will, in that in those enormous lecture halls is is, is on the backs of desperate in some in some ways um, lecturers who you know are, are, don't have a te- don't have a have a permanent contract, don't have any stability in their lives yeah um, and, it's and the, bizarre, I mean, isn't yeah i mean there's obviously there's personal repercussions to that and the feelings of anxiety and depression and stress about how are you going to pay the bills in a month if, if you've not got anything lined up you know it's um 
I suppose I was speaking to someone the other day who sort of said, you know, it used to be a postdocs, post doctoral research contracts would be, um, you know, twelve months, but the project would only take you nine, and you'd spend the they'd spend the last three sorting out your own papers and applying for your next one. Whereas it's not like that anymore. It's, it's the you know the project is bigger, um, the expectation for you to work on it is bigger, the um, allocation of time for you is much smaller. It's 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 well, I suppose the effect of neoliberalisation isn't it? The increasing competition between individuals for those postdoctoral research contracts and competition between universities in order to get those researchers and whatever else you know obviously it pushes that level that, what that competition does is it pushes the um agenda for the powerful because you want to if you're competing with somebody for the next for, well for that postdoctoral contract or whatever else you know you're competing with somebody else and so in order to show that you are deserving of it you need to sort of show almost your economic benefit for the project don't you and the way that these the process or researchers can show that economic benefit for the project is to say um i'm going to do everything for the project and nothing for me mm, and that's yeah that's obviously a, a, a paradigm of thinking which is imbued which which only exists i think because of the um this, this neoliberalization this marketization of the academy um if you know we, we reverted back to viewing universities as a public good then it's all about the research quality isn't it it's all about um are you a good researcher and have you done great things and if so you'll get a job not can you work yourself into a ground into the ground can you um you know be in the office for 50 hours a week and then on your laptop at home for another 10 20 hours a week um it's a complete this is completely sort of counterintuitive in a way as well because we've taken the or kind of the, the industry if, if we're going to call it that has taken this model of, of the market and competition um and made you know the person who can run themselves ragged equivalent to what a good researcher is and obviously that's not true um everybody knows that in to have good ideas requires to have good breaks to have rest and to have um, opportunities to think in different ways and if all you're doing is sat in in your, your office on, on a campus or your home office now or whatever else and you're working all the, all the hours that god gives you then you're not you're never going to be in that position where you can have that break and that rest to, in order to have those good ideas so it just leads it just leads to poorer research quality i think I mean, there's so many different questions to come out of this. I think, I mean, I was listening to you talking about the market and I mean, in principle, I think the market could potentially work in terms of competition to sort of bring out what you call inverted commas, better academics. But then also the problem is, I think, is that, that it's not really working as intended because what's happened is really you've got this situation where you've got the haves and have nots in academia, where the competition applies to sort of early career researchers like, say, you and me. But if you're a sort of a professor established in your post for 10 years, um, there's no competition, well, there's no turnover at that at that stage. And so therefore, if you were already in the system before the sort of the mass marketization sort of in the sort of 2000s and so forth, um, so you have the sort of the haves and the have nots, because I mean, I, I'm aware of many very senior members of staff who have very prestigious titles and earn a lot of money, who don't bring any money in from research grants, 
they don't really conduct any research but they have a title of professor and they bring in well they don't bring in, they just cost the university an awful lot of money so it's more just ongoing prestige rather than actually contributing to the ongoing benefit of the institution obviously to me that seems to benefit no one um but just to go beyond that i mean i was thinking about when you were saying um for the good of society and i think this is the big question here it's like well we need to think well what is the purpose of universities i mean from your angle you seem to be suggesting that you were thinking in terms of the research output that universities um produce but then equally i think there is a case to be made for um universities and their teaching role and actually creating better more educated people um that can, can become good citizens and contribute to the economy and so forth but again as you say that the, the problem is well which people are we trying to educate how many people are we trying to educate and where are we trying to educate them because you've got so many different types of universities out there and obviously because i was thinking about the competition and the fees and things like that because the idea with the competition is that the idea was that universities would charge different fees but obviously they decided to all ramp their fees up to the same top price nine grand for home uk students but this has obviously had a a negative effect on the market because distorted it so you've got bottom 10 universities charging the same as top 10 universities and so actually there isn't a market there at all so it's not really working properly but so i was just thinking about the education of people and things as well and i'm thinking on the one hand you're i suppose you're misleading people at the moment by sending people perhaps to university that shouldn't necessarily go to university or there are better there are places where they can um, benefit better but equally because you're, you're, we're going out chasing the fast buck the um, masses of international students and so forth. We're also perhaps doing a disservice to a lot of students because we're overfilling classes and we're, we're oversubscribing courses because universities are more interested in numbers and getting that money in than they actually are in the student experience and um, the quality of the teaching because obviously it's a lot harder to give quality teaching to, to sort of year groups that are sort of 400, 500 strong um, than it is to a smaller group. It's just so 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 difficult. There's so many different factors at play here. It's um, yeah, it's 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 a crazy world out there in higher education at the moment. It is. You're right. Um, I think yeah, I think I think you're right in that if you're going to view universities as a public good, there's kind of there's the research, there's there's understanding them as research institutions that by producing knowledge that is a public good, um, and then there's the view of teaching people mm. that that is also a public good in the same way that schools are a public good because they improve the education of the society and smart societies are a good are better than dumb societies if we're going to say that um so yeah so i think it's that angle and i think as well it's that what should i say when it when it comes to competition between universities like I have no issue with with competition per se. Some competition is good because it means that you actually have to think about what you're doing, and and if you if you if you didn't have to bother to attract students, then you don't have to do anything to attract them. They just come, so you can just let your halls of residence go to part and whatever else if if they're always going to come. So some competition is good. I, I, I you know I think that, um, but this ext rather extreme level where. You know, universities are basically just giving out unconditional offers to students who um, perhaps don't really, wouldn't, 10 years ago certainly, wouldn't have got them. Um, 
and you know we're trying to entice more and more students to come sometimes with even with cash payments um so it seems a bit i suppose fundamentally actually is that what i think what most people kind of want is they want universities to be attractive to students because of the um quality of teaching and quality of research don't they but it's i don't think students really understand that in a way I think, I think students understand quality of high quality teaching because that's what they want at their schools and sixth forms and whatever else. But it's difficult to convey how a high, a, you know, a research university, how that enhances their experience. Yeah, very much so. They've never, because students who are about to embark on to a university have never been in a research environment. You know, you don't go to school and be, oh yeah, I've done all this research. Well, no, you're on an essay. Um, you know, it's not it's not the same as sitting in the back of a um, a seminar or something, and someone telling you about how they you know invented knowledge in this particular field, um, and how how that contributes to your learning because now you're learning cutting edge stuff. Um, so yeah, so I think there's kind of this. In terms of if you're, if you're going to go down the competition route, which lots of people have, is that it's difficult to actually convey, you know, why you should go to a particular university. So actually, maybe that's why it sort of, it sort of becomes this least common denominator thing, doesn't it? Of, mm, well, uh, here's, you know, we've got great halls, we've got great nightlife, we've got cash, cash and money for you. Not, yeah. Oh, if you come here, you're going to have, um, you're going to have a great education. Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, the things that you describe are what you say are, are tangibles, really. And I mean, that's what the universities seem to be focusing on, because you can you can measure a new building, you can see it in front of you, you can see what it looks like and what it represents. The intangibles are the things that we have difficulties with. And I think when students are spending so much money on coming to university, um, they're, they're buying a pro they're buying into a product, essentially. And I think the product that they're buying into is very much focused on the teaching side of things. I mean, it, it absolutely baffles me. Um, shocks me, frustrates me on, in, in equal measure that so many of my students don't realise that I do anything beyond teaching their particular class. So they don't realise that, that all, all the lecturers that they have, they actually do research and stuff. They don't realise, they don't even know what that means. Because I think a lot of them now just seem to see it as maybe sort of school plus that you pay for and where you can go and get drunk. They don't necessarily appreciate that, like, I say to them, well, in my spare time, I'm writing papers, I'm trying to publish things. Um, and I sort of show them all the different things or I'm on TV even um, they, don't, they don't appreciate this and as you say because we don't I suppose because we don't do a very good job of selling it but equally when, when universities market themselves to students to try and attract them telling them stuff like that doesn't really make much difference to them because their parents just want to know they're going to be taught well and then this leads again this leads to this idea of, sort of cookie cutter education because even at a top level university like Lancaster a lot of the, a lot of the, especially the first and second year stuff, can be quite cookie cutter, um, quite generic, quite standardised, and there's then no scope even for the individual tutors or whatever to actually inject their own research into anything because the courses are being delivered to such large groups and on such a sort of scale, and the bureaucracy is so great that I think educa higher education has very much lost its luster, I suppose you could say, it's lost what what it was, I think, that made it great once in the past. Or, or, may, or maybe we just have to be realistic. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe we're just, I'm just romanticising the idea of higher education here. But I mean, to me, there seems to be something wrong with that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, 
you know, I think to some degree, well, yeah, I think to some degree you're right, but also I think it's quite difficult. And I'll, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll explain what I mean. Um, because say, you know, say you go to university and you study international relations or politics or English or something. Well, you're going to basically, you're going to learn the same basic stuff no matter what university you go to, right? Um, and it's kind of that stuff on top. It's that, I suppose it's the, the cherries on the ice cream or something like that, that, that kind of is, is what the specific lecturer that you're learning from, what they're going to, what they can give you from their research. Mm. Um, and I suppose and, uh, something that I was thinking about when I was teaching was that the actual space for you to kind of put those, those cherries in, if you will, um, can actually be quite small because if you're a, a, you know, a place that is has 10 week terms or you know 12 week terms or sometimes even some places with 14 week terms I think aren't they um and all right you might have the students for two hours a week or something like that well actually in every subject there are 10 12 14 topics that you could speak on for two three four five hours um so actually there's not necessarily that much space for you to kind of to put your own there's the state basically put your own stamp on it but to kind of to yeah. imbue it with your research and i was going to say with your view but actually that's you don't necessarily want it to want to give someone your view you want to give a round of view of the, yeah yeah you kind of want to be objective about it but you still want to give them some of your personality and say you know this is where my research is because and and this is it's cutting edge because of this this and this um Actually, there's not that much space to do that, I don't think, unless you um, you kind of get into, you know, lots of third year undergraduate classes and some sort of master's courses. Um, you know, sometimes there's a module where it's almost like a tasting menu of research um, activities and kind of cutting edge stuff. Mm. Um, and I remember doing some of those and thinking they were absolutely fantastic because it was, you kind of felt like you were on the cutting edge of everything and everything was new and all this kind of stuff um so i can kind of imagine that there are lots of people out there who maybe don't do those courses or think oh i'll do this more practical course that i could apply in a potential job um because that'll make me more money at the end you know in, in the in a professional world um and not doing that and kind of just yeah seeing university as just as another likely sales school well you know lot people i suppose lots of people don't really have a just think of school as somewhere where you went and learned for five years of your life or however mm. long it was. And oh, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. But yeah, that's kind of not when it comes to university, you kind of want people to think or you, you want it to be a, an exciting time where you really open your horizons and change your views on, on various things. And uh, you, you, so you kind of want people to want to go back and to, to learn and to research and to do to think up new ideas and dream up the world again, if you will. Mm. Um, and I think, but sort of having, having mentioned about lots of people that kind of go to university and are very job focused, um, you know, kind of, I think I've lost count of the amount of people who I, you know, went to sixth form in school with, and then they went to university and started to do that accounting or business or something like that. Something that from the outside looks incredibly boring. Hey, um, hey now. That's, um, I teach those courses. Well, yeah, I know. Well, I'm sure you 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 inject some personality into it, but oh, I inject a lot of personality into it. If you're teaching. not, 
if you're not if you if you view it from the outside they just, they they you know accounting what's it's, it sounds incredibly boring but um so there, you know i mean there's something interesting in it but you kind of you see a lot of people well, what, what i'm trying to say is that nobody grew up as a child and thought i want to be an accountant uh, like, I there are I mean, accountancy has its own issues. I mean, obviously, I don't have anything to do with accounting. I mean, I was just thinking you were talking about um, injecting yourself into teaching and stuff. It's very difficult, I think, isn't it, as well? Because when it comes to these big, big popular courses, the low-level low stuff is often taught by people, early career researchers who haven't got an opportunity to do that. Um, yeah. And there's a big churn as well. So often, you'll, there'll be a tutor, you'll love them in the first year, but actually you'll never see them again and there's no sort of sense of consistency because departments now are so big um that there's no it's not a community really anymore and I think just going back to my cookie cutter thing I mean I didn't really expound it too much but I was just thinking really in, as well in terms of the way we sort of spoon feed the education now um so because students are customers now it's, it's a case where students expect certain things to be delivered to them and often will find they're not willing or maybe even ill-prepared to actually learn how to do research or want to do research and you think to yourself well isn't that sort of supposed to be the point of university and I mean I spend half my time fielding questions that really no sane person at a university level should be fielding I mean like I've got a PhD like <laughs> and they're asking me like the most basic things that like I mean a school teacher would be embarrassed to answer sometimes um, because they're so unless it's been given to them and explained exactly as it is um like they just don't they're not, not prepared to engage it's, it's very difficult to then strike a balance between those students and the ones that are suited to research and do want to go on to sort of progress themselves and i think this is the problem universities have because on the one hand i mean if you're a good university like lancaster you're trying to get you're hoping these people will turn into researchers but at the same time you're also taking students who we know aren't going to be researchers so you've got to provide that side of things as well um, but as you say, it goes back to then, well, what is a university for and how does it, should a university be operated? It's very difficult. It is, absolutely. What are you going to say? As we're nearing the end of the podcast, I mean, just like to return it to the stuff that's in the news at the moment then. I mean, do we think universities should be afforded special status? I mean, should they be a high priority for a bailout from the government um, when sort of this COVID crisis is over, do you think? Or really, should we just let the markets um, sort things out? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I think for me, you know, I think for me when it comes to bailouts is that really what should you should, when it comes to a bailout, if you're going to give money to a, a failing industry, then essentially that should be nationalised because the, the government, the state has basically bought it by bailing it out. Um, so for me, if the state is going to bail out universities, then actually they should become either publicly owned or semi-publicly owned and, and revert to being, you know, a public good. But if they're going to be businesses, then, well, why should, you know, so for me, I guess I have a problem that why should, why should the, why should businesses be allowed to take lots of risks and then, when those risks don't pay off, just get the government to bail them out. That that's the thing with a risk. Mor morally inconscionable because it's um, the the what should I say the the effects of that risk are, are paid onto the tax are put on the taxpayer with no 
you know, no real tangible um, outcome because it's mm. not like the people who who pursued those risks are going to suffer. I'm not, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily bothered about them suffering and going to prison or whatever, but it can't be that the effects of the risks aren't felt by the people who took them. That's just that just no. seems to be so ridiculous and yeah, unconscionable, really. I think so. For me, I would say, yeah, give universities a bailout and um, convert them to being a public good because that's what they should be. Mm. I mean, when, when you said when you said risks there and pe- the people taking these decisions, we're talking about the people at the top here because I think one of the areas where these risks are felt and unfairly in my opinion is among is among sort of low paid members of staff because they'll be the first people to go i mean i'm not talking about academics here even i'm talking about sort of um your general sort of professional services staff um and so forth and those are the areas where these things are felt very much so i think at universities and the uncertainty of all these people on short-term professional contracts i mean to balance your point i mean obviously uh, i think we've established in previous uh, podcasts that you're very much one for state ownership um <laughs> Me, I don't know. Well, not necessarily, but I I agree with your with your point. I think that we need to decide one way or another what these universities are for. If they're going to take risks, then they need to stand up to those risks um, and be held account to those risks. Um, yeah, I think, and I think ultimately, as far as education goes, I think we 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 need a shift in the way the education system works. I, I think because uh, I don't think university is the answer for everyone, and I, I think the whole sort of system would benefit greatly if we had a bit more of a focus back on research and delivering high quality teaching as opposed to just high qu- high quantities of teaching i think um that would certainly make a difference in my view yeah because i think a lot of yeah i think you're right in that a lot of people kind of go to university what should i say you know a lot of people go to university because it's expected of them and because they couldn't get the job that they want without a degree even though Lots of jobs don't really require a degree, but just put, you know, put requires a degree on their person specs because it's a way of um, cutting down applications, I suppose. Yeah, I mean that's happening with postgraduate degrees now. Yeah. To be honest with you, um, a lot of people will say they require a master's, even though a master's doesn't necessarily make you any better than an undergraduate. Really, um, depends um, what you're doing, of course. Oh well, yeah, it does depend, but I, don't know, I think for me, there's there's a bit more. You know, masters pushes you quite a lot more, I think, and that and the, the effect of that um, probably makes you more capable, I think. And it, even just the extra experience, I think, is useful. So I think I think there's definitely additional worth in getting a masters, but um, that's not necessarily to say that some people don't have that experience and worth from their undergraduate degree. You know, some people, you know, you see a lot of people who kind of stick around for a masters degree and don't. And treat it like it's another year of an undergraduate degree and don't get that much out of it well you see um, people doing that at phd level as well let's be well, honest you do, actually you're right um but then you see but then conversely you see a lot of people who go turn it to a master's degree or to a phd and are hungry for it and will take every opportunity they can to get good experience and good uh you know to get more to get as much out of it as they can um and you know it's those people who really shine at the end of those degrees and um go on to get good jobs from it because that's that's what they want mm. yeah and just to close i think maybe that's really the people that universities should be focusing on perhaps i don't know it's a, it's a difficult one isn't it i think there's no there are no easy answers but i think uh, as we say i think a, a bailout uh, of universities at this point in time is quite questionable 
At the very least. Yeah, so uh, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. For more podcasts and interesting chat, visit inthezonepodcast.com.